We are live in New York City, and the phone lines are wide open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I am especially delighted to be with you today on the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown coming to you from New York City, WMCA Studios in Manhattan. Uh, My joy to be doing this. You can hear me just the same if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. You hear the voice. You know it's the same person. You just can't see me. Because we are in a radio studio, we don't have our normal video set up. But welcome to the broadcast. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I flew into the city last night, just beautiful night out in Manhattan, took a, a walk. Just it, The weather was just perfect for doing that. And then this morning, headed over to my friend Eric Metaxas's studio. He's got a beautiful video studio for doing his show on TBN. And, of course, it airs on radio across America. So I was up to do an interview with him on my forthcoming book, Jezebel's War with America, which comes out on August 6th. So we did a great full broadcast on that. And then it turned out that he had another guest cancel last minute. It's like, here we are. So we recorded two more shows. I've got other books coming out later in the year. The, the new updated expanded edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. That comes out in September. And then November, my commentary on Job, Job the Faith to Challenge God, a new translation and commentary. So we just did more interviews. So those will all air later in the year, God willing. And uh, then made my way over here to the studio for today's broadcast. So I've got a lot of things I'm happy to talk to you about. But because this is kind of a different day, different studio, different setting, I thought I'd open up the phone line. So anything you want to ask me about, any Bible, theology, translation question you have, anything you've heard that I teach or believe that you'd like to straighten out or challenge me on if you differ with me oh how i love to interact with folks who differ they just tend not to call phone lines are open 866-34-TRUTH in my hotel last night i wrote an article you can read it on our website sdrbrown.org or over at the stream about how the process works where a lie becomes a truth on the internet how something that is a known lie something that's manufactured, something that's bogus, something that's taken out of context, something that's just made up, how that circulates enough. And now when you search for it, wow, it's like on like 500 websites and everybody's quoting it, everybody's citing it. It's a scary thing to witness. But in, in point of fact, uh, as, we, as we witness this in front of our own eyes, and often I'm the subject of it, so I can kind of track it. It's scary. That's not scary for me in that it comes with the turf, the lies, the attack, the misrepresentation. That that comes with the turf. I understand that. No big deal there. 
And I, I feel bad for the people who believe the lies. Otherwise, I can just laugh about it. But people can have their reputations destroyed. People can have their lives destroyed. And it's extraordinary to see these things circulate. And the media can do this without the Internet. But now with the Internet, boy, overnight, boom, something gets out. Overnight, boom, everybody's reporting it. Overnight, everybody's repeating it. And it's not true. It was never true. Here, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you an example. Uh, remember when President Trump spoke after the events in Charlottesville, the white supremacists there, and there was protest about a statue of Robert E. Lee being removed, and tr- President Trump was challenged about this, and he responded. And then since then, his critics have said that he said that there were fine people among the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, that there are fine people on each side. When I heard it, I, I knew that's not what happened. I knew what he was saying, that there were people there that were fine people that just had an issue with the Robert E. Lee statue being removed. And then there were others who were not fine people. All right. And, and he wanted to make that clear. Well, in any case, I watched a report, a CNN report from April of this year. Chris Cuomo saying, here, here's what actually happened. Here's what actually happened. Playing the video. And you watch the video, it's like, that's what actually happened. How can Trump say something different happened? Well, in point of fact, the video stops at a certain point. It stops, it stops, it stops, it stops. Each time it's repeated, it stops. Well, play the rest of it. You you stop in in mid-sentence. Play the rest of it. And then play the question that comes up in the same news conference. So, here, uh, Steve Cortez pointed this out in Real Clear Politics. News anchors and pundits have repeated lies about Donald Trump and race so often that some of these narratives seem true, even to Americans who embrace the fruits of the president's policies. The most pernicious and pervasive of these lies is the Charlottesville hoax, the fake news fabrication that he described the neo-Nazis who rallied in Charlottesville, Virginia in August 2017 as fine people. So what did the president actually say? Here's the whole quote. I believe it was Jim Acosta, CNN, pressing him. He says, excuse me, they didn't put themselves down as neo-Nazis, and you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. So when he said there were fine people on each side, that's what he was talking about, fine people that were protesting the statue being taken down not the neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Well, how do we know this? Okay, a question comes up, same news conference, and Trump says, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. So he made himself plain in the same news conference, but does it matter? No. Well, now you multiply it by way of internet. Now you multiply it so that the thing spreads and spreads and spreads, and it takes on a life of its own. Of its own, the internet is really good at snowballing things. You know what I'm saying? That you just you kind of open the door, and the thing starts, and then the rumor starts just like a snowball it gets bigger, bigger, bigger. Then going down the side of a mountain, next thing you have an avalanche. Here, I'll, I'll give you another example that I cite in my article on a regular basis. I will see black Hebrew Israelites and others who say that today's Jews are not really Jews. They will say, well, the Egyptian president, Gamal Abdel Nasser, said, the Jews will never be able to live in Israel because they left here black and came back white. 
Now, maybe Nasser said that. If he did, what does it prove? That was just his opinion. But anyway, I thought, that's odd. I've never seen that quote. So I dug deeper, and I dug deeper. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Nasser said the Jews will never be able to live in Israel in peace because they left here black and came back white. So the original Jews were black, and now these other Jews, they're imposters, they came back white. That's the argument. Well, there's no evidence Nasser said it. No, no, he said it. How do you know? How do you know? Well, because I saw it. Someone quoted it. Well, who quoted it? Where did he get it from? Where did she get it from? Can you trace it back? Can you find the source of it? What speech? What book? What page? What newspaper? What, what, what paragraph? Where? Where? When? Well, it's, it's out there. Yeah, it's just out there. Now, I read an article about it last night on the Times of Israel in 2018, where they, they mentioned this now, you buy a t-shirt on Amazon with that meme. The Jews will never be able to live in Israel in peace because they left here black and came back white, right? You buy a t-shirt with it. It's just, it's everywhere. Except there's no evidence Nasser ever said it. In fact, he would not use those type of terms and he did not identify Egypt as black. So the, 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 the Israelites living among them would not have been identified as black. Anyway, you say, no, no, he said, it. okay, provide for me the original source. Okay? If he said it, fine. But to me, this is another example of how these internet myths just go out and spread. 866-34-TRUTH. I'm going to go to the phones momentarily, but, but here's something really interesting. Really, really interesting. I often see that Winston Churchill said, a lie will gallop halfway around the world before the truth has time to pull its breeches on. And I was thinking about that quote writing this article, how a lie is out there everywhere. By the time you respond to it, it's just out there. I get lied about perpetually, perpetually, sometimes by the minute online. And, and most of the lies I don't even know about till after, you know, someone will send me a website or a link or a YouTube video or an article or whatever. But I'm sure most of it I never even see. But by the time I'm aware of it, it's already taken out of life its own. Oh, yeah, Brown says Brown believes this. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. So here's what's interesting. Churchill, the quote does not originate with Churchill. The quote itself came from someone else. Uh, according to historians, it came from Cordell Hull, who was FDR's Secretary of State. And, and this prompted... Uh, Tim Riley, who's the director of the National Churchill Museum at Westminster College, this prompted him to say, the irony is that today such misattributed quotes circle the globe a thousand times before the truth even begins to think about putting on pants. (laughs) So this is someone from the Churchill camp saying this gets attributed to Churchill, and he didn't actually say it. It's absolutely fascinating. But, But notice, notice the reality that the lie gets out there everywhere. Like I, I, I think I mentioned this yesterday, but someone was responding to one of my treats, uh, tw- treats, tweets about the California resolution that would really be a frontal assault on, on freedom of, of religion and freedom of speech in California. And the guy tweets back, isn't this about me, the Jewish, quote, Christian, Christian in quotes, so I'm not really a Christian, not really a follower of Jesus, because I say I'm Jewish, Jewish follower of Jesus. Isn't this the Jewish, quote, Christian, who wants to put mainstream Christians in jail for believing that the church is Israel today? You think, where in the world did somebody get something so ridiculously bogus? So some of it goes back to misrepresentations from Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones and misrepresentations from conservative comedian Owen Benjamin 
and then this one adds on to it, and that one adds on to it, and the next thing, you've got this whole myth. I think I, I mentioned it yesterday on the air because I was just so so struck by it. Again, I, I can only smile when I see it and say to this person, what on earth are you talking about? Where'd you get this from? But this is what happens. We're, we're kind of watching it in front of our eyes. Something posted online, no truth to it. But see, it's different than the old days. It was harder to get a rumor started. It was harder to get the word out, at least on a national level, right? But what you could do in your school, what you could do in your school, I, I remember, you know, we'd have everybody in, in, you know, in a big auditorium together or something, and we'd pass the word at, at, at when you hear, we're going to count to 60, when you hear 60, everybody screamed, yes! And actually it was a joke that it was just, you, everyone was told, you be quiet, one person's going to scream, and the person embarrasses himself. Now you just make it spread all over the world on the internet, whatever you want, instantly. We'll be right back with your calls. Oh God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. Michael Brown, coming your way live from New York City, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. As we do on Fridays, we are doing today all questions, all subjects. Welcome. You've got questions. We've got answers. Let us start with Wendy in Holland. Welcome to the line of fire. Good evening, Dr. Brown. Hey, so this is Holland as the Netherlands, yes? Yes, correct. Great. All right, because we have some cities in America named Holland. Just wanted to be sure. Nice to talk with you. Yeah. Yes, um, likewise. I'm a little bit nervous, I must say. I don't know why. (laughs) But I've been listening to your podcast for, uh, yeah, I think daily now for over half a year. And your ministry has been such a blessing to my life. It's, well, thank you so much. Your wisdom is very great. Thank you. So go ahead. Um, I have a question about women teaching in the church. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to make clear that my motivation is not from a point where I want to find an, like a reason for women uh, to, to teach, so to speak. Um, but I want to I just make sure that whatever I do, as a follower of Jesus, that I will be walking the right path. And um, I noticed that I have been asking different people uh, questions about this, like my pastor or some other people who study theology. But <laughs> I've noticed that the answers um, are all very much are different. Uh, some people say that because the Bible says women should not teach, only children and women, that that's what it's like. Some people say, well, the Bible also says there's neither male nor female, um, so that doesn't count anymore. But it's really hard for me to figure out. So that's why I thought I'd just call. <laughs> Surely. Well, I'm so, I'm so glad that you took the time to do that. First thing, Wendy, be at peace because the attitude of your heart is right. In other words, you just want to honor God and honor his word. And as long as that's your attitude, that's a very safe place to be. For example, if you just had this ambition, I've got to teach, I've got to lead, and I'm looking for someone to affirm my position, 
or you know, we've just got to silence these women and keep them down, and I'm looking for someone to back my position. Now we've, we've already got a presupposition. That's a problem. But when you come with your attitude, well, I just want to know the truth, I just want to honor the Lord, that's a very safe place to be. I have a short video on our website, AskDrBrown.org, uh, that addresses the question, should women be pastors? And you could take a look yeah, at that, that as, as well. But let me give you the, the key points. When Paul says in Galatians 3 and Colossians 3 that there's neither male nor female, that's really not relevant in this context because he's talking about our standing and our status. So in Jesus, there's no caste system and no class system. We are all equally children of God, equally priests in, in the spiritual temple, equally branches of the vine, equally loved by God. That remains the same. Yet Paul recognizes distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, and men and women, and addresses them. So we have distinctives, but we are equal in Jesus. The passages that would be the key ones would be 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14, and, and then 2 Timothy chapter 2. And, and the question would be, let's think of the logic for a minute. Would Paul say that women are easily deceived, and therefore women should only teach children and other women? Wouldn't that be a bit of a problem? Because if, if they're so easily deceived, and that was Paul's reason for saying they shouldn't teach, wouldn't that mean that they shouldn't teach children or women either, right? So yeah, uh, it's actually a fir- First Timothy 2, of course, was the passage. So uh, if, if women are so easily deceived that they can uh, be so easily misled, then they shouldn't be teaching anyone. They shouldn't be teaching other women. They shouldn't be teaching children. What I understand is, is this, that women are free to teach and minister and be used by God in a thousand different ways within the church and outside the church, as long as they are in proper relationship to the body and under proper authority. That the issue in First Timothy 2, as I understand it, is the usurping of authority and using that to teach. First Corinthians 11, Paul makes clear in the, in the right context with right recognition of authority that women are free to, to prophesy and to pray. And in 1 Corinthians 14, when he says they should be silent and ask their husbands questions at home, that has nothing to do with women teaching. That has to do with, in the ancient world, women being less educated. Also, the ancient world, women sitting on one side of the room, men on the other. That as questions would come up, they'd be yelling across the room. It was disruptive. So be quiet. Ask your husbands at home. But we see in the ministry of Paul, look at Romans 16, for example, all of the women he honors as co-workers. Look at Priscilla and Aquila. When they're mentioned as a couple, her name most of the time is mentioned before his name. And it says in Acts 18, the end of the chapter, that the two of them instructed Apollos. So I believe that women can absolutely minister, teach, preach, and be used by God within the church and outside of the church. But I do not believe that their, their normal calling is to senior governmental headship, so senior pastor or leader of, of the ministry in that respect. So how does that line up with what you've studied and what you believe? Um, well, I, um, this makes much more sense <laughs> because 
for me, it was really hard to believe that. Because one of the people I was speaking to, he was like, well, it's God's blueprint and we cannot, um, uh, like, uh, we can't change that because that's the way God intended it to be. And then I was like, but that's your interpretation, because why would God give so much insight and uh, wisdom to women? Even like me and my quiet time, there have been so many times where I was like, I want, I want my friends to know this. And then I came to a point where I was like, what if I'm asked to share during a life group, for example? And then, exactly. Because there's a man in the room, I, I'm so, like suddenly supposed to uh, keep quiet. And then no, like, yeah, it's, well, it's certainly, that's certainly not, not authority position. Yeah. 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 And, and look, if so you, if you will really look in society, naturally when things work out, that the man really has a, a, a heart, you know, a good husband to protect, nourish, nurture the family. Let's say the wife is pregnant. Let's say she's got a little baby at home. The father is very protective, providing, but he's constantly leaning on his wife for wisdom, for insight. Uh, and, and we see, look, in Scripture, Eve fell first, then Adam, but Jesus appeared to the women first and then the men. So the first ones he appeared to after his death were women, and the women went and, and, and told the men, and the men didn't believe it. So each one has strengths and weaknesses, and that's, that's the key thing. By the way, Wendy, uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, as we started to get international students at our ministry school, at Fire School of Ministry, I would tell them that, that I knew that they were international because they spoke much better English than our Americans. Their grammar and sentence structure was often better. But the Lord be with you, Wendy. Thanks for your kind words and keep listening. We want to be a source of blessing to you. 866-34-TRUTH. By the way, we are now taking registration at Fire School of Ministry. You can get our entire program. You take it at your own pace, but you can get our entire full program. We are now putting it online. I'm talking about my best classes, the best classes of our faculty that's been training and equipping people for over 20 years. Go to fireschoolofministry.com. You can enroll today for the semester that starts next month. But again, you can take things at your own pace, one class at a time, and then do a full program in two or three years fireschoolofministry.com. You'll also earn credits, which can be transferred to other degree-granting institutions as well. Um, I tell you what, I've got a break coming up. I don't want to rush this next call. So phone lines are jammed. I'm going to get to just phone call after phone call in the second half of the broadcast. But let me just speak personally to each of you listening. If you'll yield your heart fully to the Lord, if you'll say, God, I don't have a personal agenda. My goal is to honor you. My goal is to glorify you. My goal is to be used by you. Whatever your purpose is for my life, whatever your plan, that's what I want. If you want me in public, I'll be in public. If you want me hidden, I'll be hidden. Whatever your plan is, I'm here to do your will. And you just seek to obey him. Whatever light you have, whatever clarity you have, walk in that. Be obedient to the light that you have. Serve the Lord with your whole heart today. He will bring fulfillment to his calling on your life. If he wants you to speak to millions, if he wants you to be a political leader, if he wants you to be a parent with 10 kids, 
if he wants you to pastor a church, if he wants you to be a best-selling author, if you yield your heart, your life, your mind to him, you will see amazing things come to pass. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. That is the number to call. We'll get your calls on the other side of the break. And uh, let's see. We've got a call from Wayne in New York. I wonder how far away Wayne is from where I am in New York right now. Uh, one other thing. We also have video classes. You don't have to enroll in the school to take these. I've got one on hypergrace versus true grace. We've got a video class on can you be gay and Christian? A video class on discovering God's true love. Video class on how to answer the rabbis. That's that's a big comprehensive one. So I'll tell you how to check all of those out as well. You go to fireschoolofministry.teachable.com for those. Fireschoolofministry.teachable.com. All right, we'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Coming your way live from New York City, the WMCA studios here. My great delight to do it. All right, we go over to California. David, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Good talking to you again. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually just calling right now because I have a question regarding the subject of transgenderism. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a coworker, a coworker who identifies as a transgender male, so biological female, and just been growing in a friendship with her and just trying to like talk to her, minister to her, going through the word and talking about who God is and all that. And the real kicker, though, is that she considers herself to be a Christian. <laughs> And I read a little bit of um, Dr. Christopher Doyle's book, uh, the one that you wrote the foreword to. Uh, the yeah, Christopher Doyle. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess I'm just curious as to what the best approach is to go and just minister to her with, you know, being direct but not compromising and not necessarily isolating her either. Right. Well, you know, if I knew someone for years, let's say I had a cousin that was Joe, and I knew him for my whole life, and now he wants me to refer to him as Jane, that would be an issue to me. But if I met a male who said, my name is Jane, then that's where I would start with that person. So on the most basic level... I'm going to start where the person is, how they identify, etc. In other words, if that's the only name they give me, then that's the name by which I, I'm going to refer to them. But as we would yeah. dialogue, I would make it clear that I believe they're actually biological male, etc. But I would do my best to not even bring up the issue unless it was forced on me. In other words, if this person insisted that I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, and it's perfectly fine for me to, tra- to be transgender, then I would address it. Then I would, I would go back to what does Scripture say and how did God create you and how do we determine reality. If they didn't press it themselves, 
What I would do is I would push everything in terms of really calling them to know the Lord and really calling them to have a relationship with Jesus and say, look, I'm, I'm not majoring on the transgender issue. I'm talking about really coming to know the Lord and walk with him and love him. If, if the person says, I do, I am a Christian, I love Jesus, then I would press deeper and say, okay, what about God made us male and female? Why do you think under the law it was considered uh, detestable in God's sight for, for a man to wear women's garments or women to wear man's garments? Why do you think that's the case? How do you deal with gender distinctions in the Bible? Why does God call, refer to people a certain way based on their biology? I would press it. But if I could avoid that and make the bigger issue, do you really know the Lord? Have you really had your sins forgiven? Do you really love the Word of God? Do you really want to please God and serve God? I would try to major on that with the hope that as this person really was born again and really experienced God's new life, that they would be uneasy living the way they're living. And then it's a matter of discipling them, getting them to grow, and trying to find the roots of this. The other thing is if they want to make this a major issue, which for them it's a major part of their identity, it could be the case, I would ask questions. How long have you felt this way? When do you remember feeling yeah, this way? Actually, I, I really, I have been doing that. Actually, I got to hear a lot more of the story. She's the one that brought it up to me directly. And after I'd already been talking to her for like four days about the Word of God and about my testimony of how I used to be bisexual and that God delivered me from the New Age and like sorcery and all kinds of stuff like that. Now I'm happily mm. married to my beautiful wife and, you know, just really majored on the foundational things of repentance from dead works, faith toward God you know, baptism, uh, laying on hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, right, in Hebrews 6, and just really was walking through what all that means, what it means to live a born-again life, and to be, um, have our sins forgiven and cleansed and washed, and to live holy, right? And so, yeah, it's definitely been a back-and-forth dialogue for like the last month or so, and now I've kind of felt like I'm at a little bit of a standstill, where I still have a little bit of like you know, some major points that I can hit on in terms of um, her coming out and openly telling me that the reason that she, had, you know, identifies as, or um, that she took on the name Anthony is out of spite for her father. Mm. And all kinds of stuff like this. And I'm just like, Right, Man. yeah, so, so, yeah, David, I, it, you, you really, yeah, and just, I'm having a slight hard time hearing you right at the end there, but you're, on, you're doing things the right way. You have your own testimony, your own story, which is so powerful. And, and if you can, again, get there's something else going on. There's something deeper as the Holy Spirit reveals it, or in her case, as she's openly talking about it, then you could say, look, the, the, God can heal the wound. God wants you to repent of the rebellion, the anger, the spite. And, and look, it's like anyone else. You can't make someone submit to God and receive his love but we do our best with the help of the Holy Spirit to see conviction come so that they they really recognize their need to be transformed. Hey, may the Lord use you. David, thank you for calling in and sharing that with us. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Wayne in New York. What part of New York are you? Hello, Doc. How are you? Good, good. So where in New York are you? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I I can't hear you very well on my end here, so excuse me, but uh, yeah, you coming in a little better now i live uh i live upstate doctor uh, okay yeah. i'm I living down you know I'm, I'm originally from uh you know from the bronx but uh, i was living in westchester county 
for many years, but I just recently moved upstate. Yeah, a little, little bit slower pace there. Fall, fall <laughs> is very bit, nice. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, what's yeah. on your what's I, on your I, mind? Well, you know, first off, I wanted to thank you for all the you know the wonderful things that you do and the service that you offer for people. Uh, you know, for Christian people, obviously, Jewish people. Uh, uh, you know, you really are a great example of compassion and patience and, and the Lord's uh, kindness and mercy. And I mean that very sincerely. Um, the reason I call you, sir, is, you know, I work in the city. You know, I'm all over the city, actually. I spend a lot of time in Brooklyn. Uh, I've, I've come into contact with a lot of very nice uh, Jewish people that I know. A lot of uh, Hasidic Jews, uh, Satmar, people from that persuasion. And, uh, you know, I have a great, how should I say, great compassion, love, and respect for the Jewish people. And, uh, you know, I was wondering if you could give me some, some helpful advice, maybe tell me what I might be able to do. I, you know, I don't want to come across and try to proselytize people. I know, uh, you know, examples are, are more important. But, you uh, you know, I was hoping maybe you can give me some, some helpful advice along those lines where I might be able to, you know, be a, a, some kind of service and, you know, and a better example. Yeah, well, first thing is that that you really want to be a friend. In other words, right. a, a Jewish person is not a statistic or, well, if I could win this person or something. No, you, you really want to be a friend. And as a Christian, many of them... Would uh, a Satmar ultra orthodox Jew? They'd be very suspicious of Christians. They might right. think of Christians in the worst possible terms, as far as persecution of their of their forefathers. The Satmar community comes from from uh, from Hungary, and right. you know many of them suffered terribly during the Holocaust. So, what you want to do is demonstrate real Christian love. That's the one thing. Uh, another thing is to say, you know, I'm a Christian. And I find a lot of your traditions fascinating. And to ask them questions, to talk to them, and to say, do you know Jesus in the New Testament was a Jew? Because it's, I don't even know if you knew that. You know, just see if doors open to interact. But wherever you could be a blessing, I would pray for, for divine opportunities. But I know of people, my, I know them personally, that have come out of the Saltmar community and are followers of Jesus today. Some of them, when they were younger just met Christians and found them to be very loving, very gracious, very caring people, and that made an impact on them and opened them up to the the message of the gospel later in life. Others felt oppressed and restricted by all the traditions and broke away, and once they broke away, they became followers of Jesus. But Wayne, I pray for divine opportunities, divine appointments, uh, maybe an opportunity to pray for someone who's going through a difficult time. Hey, I know you have your way of praying, but as a Christian, it's okay if I pray for you. And then take a real interest. Find out more. Ask questions. Ask, hey, could, could we look at Scripture together and, and see if the Lord opens a door for you to share the good news of the Messiah with them? And at the very least, to demonstrate that Christians are caring, godly people and, and not the way some of the false Christians and hypocritical Christians have, have made us look. And, and thank you, Wayne, for the very kind words. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's see. Let's go over to Pennsylvania. John, welcome to the line of fire. 
Hey, Dr. Brand, how are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I kind of had a, a, a question just about kind of the heart and mind disconnect between, you know, on an intellectual level, understanding and accepting the fact, um, not only from history, but archaeology, that Jesus was who he said he was, but on a spiritual level, actually accepting his, you know, his grace and him as our Lord and Savior. I'm just kind of wondering kind of your advice on that for, for someone who might be struggling with that. Yeah, so, okay, what, what's their bottom line struggle? Is it taking the plunge of submitting their lives or, or really being convinced enough that this is who Jesus really is? No, so I think, you know, just after speaking with this person, the, the facts were all there, you know, the evidence speaks for itself, but it, it's that final step of actually, you know, of, of faith, of actually accepting it, you know, in your heart as opposed to just your mind. And so I'm not sure what specifically is holding them back, but to me that's what it seems like. So just trying to be a friend of them, I'm not really sure how to help with that because obviously only the Spirit can lead them, but I was just wondering how, what you thought on that matter. Yeah, I would sit with someone like that, and I would ask them questions. Do you really believe Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead? Yes. Do you really believe that what's written in Scripture here is true? Do you really believe that Jesus said, unless you leave everything and follow me, you can't be my disciple? Yeah. Do you believe he's trustworthy? Yeah. All right. Well, what's stopping you from taking the plunge? I I would right. talk it through and right then and there say, okay, are, are, you ser- are you serious about following the Lord? Are you serious about really submitting? Your, well, yeah, I don't know. How. All right. Let's just trust him. Just start where you are and, and say, God, I, I want to do this, but I'm struggling. I want to do this, but I'm afraid. So God, I'm, I'm going to, in that sense, close my eyes and jump into your arms. I'm saying, God, take me, take my whole life. I just want to follow you. See if you can get them in their heart to jump into God's arms, so to say. And then from there, they'll begin to grow and experience God's goodness. And he'll be much more real in their lives. God bless you. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So friends, we've got our first four Fire School of Ministry video classes online. This is not the full-time program. This is not the degree-granting program with tests and requirements. This is sit back, enjoy the classes, some just a few hours long, some much longer. Great study guide. Look at your computer. Print it out if you like. We've got our first four online. So anybody take, take it. No requirements with it. Just enjoy it. My class on true grace versus hyper grace with a great study guide. Break it down into six short lectures for you. My class on Can You Be Gain Christian, same thing. We break it down, real simple, clear, open the word, really helpful study guide. Pastor David Harwood's amazing class on discovering God's true love. And then a full over 20-hour class with an over 300-page study guide, How to Answer the Rabbis. Yeah, so go to fireschoolofministry.com teachable.com fireschoolofministry.teachable.com to find out more all right let us go to california musa welcome to the line of fire 
How you doing, Dr. Brown? Very well, thank you. I would just first like to thank you for being such a sincere and loving brother and teacher in the faith, and uh, thank you so much. You've been uh, an amazing help in my journey uh, being a Christian again. <laughs> well, God bless you. Thank you for the kind words. I would like to um, share a thought about Christian Arabs in the Middle East, and I would love to hear your input about this topic. I know it's very touchy. Please. Uh, so, basically, um, I'm from Syria, and uh, I'm a Christian from a small Christian town. And how we were raised um, on a national level, I mean in schools and, you know, being a part of the system of that country, being there and living there, you know, and they basically pressure you with this uh, just nationalism and pride in nationalism and being an Arab and uh, identifying as an Arab, basically, which the majority of our Muslims. And I can recall till now, I've been in the States for about 25 years, and uh, I came when I was a young teenager. I remember till this day um, how in school, uh, basically it was a lot of things were geared towards making everyone that identifies as Arab you know, just follow along with whatever agenda they have as the majority, which would be Muslim, obviously, mm -hmm. in Arabic nations. And, uh, you know, being a Christian and uh, getting into the Scripture again and starting to learn um, from elders such as yourself and many others, um, James White also, much love to him, um, I started to see that there's, there's a lot of cracks in how we are raised as Christians in the Middle East. We're just allowing this this false doctrine, which is uh, the Jews are the enemy, basically, bottom line, and uh, that's no matter who you are, you are an Arab first. And uh, I, I really thank, thank the Lord. I, I learned that I have to identify as a Christian first. That is my foundation. And it's hard for people who live there as Christians to even to go past that wall. They, they, don't, they probably will never get the, uh, the insight and teaching from other Christians who are also identifying as Arabs first or the, you know, national uh, region first, not as Christian. And um, I don't know how they would get across that. Now, yeah, you know, it's your input beyond that. Yeah, so Moose, it's, it's very, it is challenging. And, and look, uh, there are many American Christians, and being American is a massive part of their identity. And sometimes we can be so nationalistic that we put nationalism before allegiance to Jesus. You can be a Messianic Jew living in Israel and have such a strong emphasis on being an Israeli, Israeli that, that you miss God's heart on certain things. So it can happen to any of us. What makes it more challenging in that culture, as you said, is it's a dominant Muslim culture and therefore an Arab nationalism. And, and really, th there was not always nationalism because it was such a diverse, the Middle East was so diverse and it wasn't so neatly divided up into states. I mean, you have Syria as an ancient kingdom and things like that. But even right. some of the nationalism in a state sense is, is more recent, and some of it is a reaction against Israel. But what I've often found is when, when a Muslim in the Middle East really comes to faith in Jesus, that that person actually becomes a friend of Israel, that their heart changes, and that we have friends that work together on a very regular basis, Messianic Jews and Christian Arabs, side by side with, with that common identity. And I think what we have to do, sir— is show the beauty of our unity in Jesus. There's something very attractive to that. When a Christian Arab and a, and a Messianic Jew are side by side in the Middle East and praying for the salvation of their people, 
and standing against hatred wherever they find it. There's something very attractive and beautiful about that. And I think that when we can uh, overcome ancient biases and prejudices, whichever direction it's going, whether it's a Jewish supremacy or a hatred of Jews, whichever direction it's going, as we overcome that in Jesus and show forth the love of God and the character of the Messiah, it, it has something very powerful about it that convicts others, that exposes their flesh. So I think the best antidote is not so much to fight the other identity, but as you're saying, to really emphasize our identity in Jesus and what that means in terms of love for one another in the body. And our love breaks down the walls of hyper-nationalism and national supremacy that others have erected and allow us to really love our neighbors ourselves, just as you and I can have a great sense of commonality, you as a Christian Arab, me as a Messianic Jew, there's a beautiful aroma that comes from that, and that itself will then draw others. It'll draw Muslims in, it'll draw Jewish non-believers in, it'll draw others in who are full of hatred, and the Lord will work through that. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call, and again, for the very kind words. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Sean in Texas. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Mr. Brown. I love hearing your words, and I really like your teachings. Well, thank you so much. Uh, my question is on the subject of safe by grace versus works. And my position, I believe Jesus on, on the cross, he's the only one that could have done that work. And our own actions and works, they can do nothing to earn salvation. It's a gift by faith. And Scripture also shows that without faith, works, uh, without works, Faith is dead without works. Mm-hmm. And basically, basically, my question is, how can, after accepting Jesus, we have salvation with dead faith? Isn't uh, repenting by faith a work in itself, and aren't we obligated, even commanded, to certain works? Yeah, so uh, a few things. Number one, salvation is by grace, and in a million years, a billion years, a trillion years, we could never, we could never earn it. No matter what we try to do, our works will always fall short, and they'll always be mixed. Salvation by works means if I can better myself, if I can fast enough, if I can pray enough, if I can do good deeds, if I could keep a calendar a certain way, then I will earn salvation, that my my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds, or I will become good enough to be accepted by God. So someone who believes in salvation by works, let's say that person is a drug addict and, and a violent person. They're thinking, okay, before God can accept me, i got to clean up my act. Whereas the gospel says, turn to God, which is not a work. Repentance is not a work. Repentance is saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I turn from my sin. Help me. Salvation then comes and changes us. And now as changed people, we are commanded to live differently. And if we don't live differently, either we were never truly born again, never truly saved, or we have sadly chosen to walk away from God to our own detriment. So Jesus is very clear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Uh Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. But I'm not doing the will of the Father to earn salvation. I'm doing the will of the Father because I'm saved and as a demonstration of the fact that I'm saved. 
So that would be the difference. Works are very important. We're commanded to good works. In fact, Paul says in, in Ephesians 2 that we're, we're predestined to them. Uh, but what's clear is that the works are the fruit and proof of repentance. Paul says in Acts 26, 20, I preach that people should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their works. So repentance is not a work. Repentance is turning to God, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. A work would then be, I stopped drinking. A work would then be, I fasted once a week. A work would then be, I read the Bible two hours a day. Those would be works. We're not saved by that, but those would be the proof of our salvation. Those would be a sign that we are born again, changed people. That's why faith without works is dead, because it's not a real faith. Hey, friends, we are out of time, but it has been my delight to be back in the WMCA studios. In fact, first time I've been in these specific studios in New York City here. They had some others in different locations. So my joy to broadcast live from New York. We'll be back in our studios in North Carolina, God willing, tomorrow with a video feed as well as an audio feed. But we're here to serve you and be a blessing to you. Everyday new videos, everyday new articles being posted. Check them all out at askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. And I can't thank you enough, all of you, for your very kind and gracious words. Thank you so much. And all of you who are standing with us financially, you know, just pennies a day, you can become part of our team and help us produce more cutting-edge media and do shows like this. Take a moment, patreon.com forward slash Brown. patreon.com forward slash Brown. Get on our support team, just pennies a day, and you get two bonus videos every week exclusively yours on patreon all right be blessed